Fastamai, good afternoon and welcome to Perspective, your view of the world we live in on the Isle of Man of the 21st century. I'm Dolan Mercer here with you until one o'clock and we're joined this afternoon by Aaron Ibanez. Last week we were talking about education and specifically a public consultation on the proposed new education bill. We were joined by political members of the Department of Education, Sport and Culture, Anne Corlett and Laurie Hooper, plus MHK's Julie Edge and Daphne Kane, who've been two of the more vocal politicians on the topic. This week... Honourable Members, I put the motion... I set out at item 20 on Syrian refugees. Those in favour say aye. Aye. Against no. No. Divide. Ayes have it. Division called. The island is helping people rebuild their lives as close to their home as possible. To me, the best thing we can do is get the money to the aid agencies get the infrastructure in place, get the support mechanisms in place to help thousands, thousands, not 25,000. What about coming from, from the perspective of how can we do this? That's what the motion sets up to establish, but not ignoring the fact that it might not be the right thing for the Syrian refugees or for the island as a whole. I cannot understand the mentality of the lady that put this forward. Does she go around with her eyes closed to see on the island the people that are waiting for houses. I, I do not take the view that we can deal with this issue by exception because that's what we're discussing. I think that the people who say, oh no, 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 no refugees, no, 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 uh, perhaps might remember the story of the Good Samaritan and say there might be some point in at least looking at this well, rather uh, than just dismissing it. I, I, I always enjoy your point of view. The, the difference that I see about this is that the Good Samaritan didn't have dynamite strapped to his chest. To those who have cast broad criticism of all Syrians, I say, not in my name. To those who have cast broad criticism of all refugees, I say, not in my name. It feels a sensible thing to do. It feels the right thing to do. Not to do so feels blinkered and, in my view, close-minded. We have made the decision based on what is right for the people of Syria. Here, for us, they're going to be very, very uh, 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 easily uh, identifiable and, and I, I'll be truthful, I worry about um, that. I think one of the benefits, actually, of this committee would be in looking at the advantages and disadvantages for Syrian refugees, we might really learn some things to our advantage about how we can better support our currently diverse and likely to be increasingly diverse society if we grow our population in the way that, that government seeks to do. I am not so arrogant as to presume that we have all the facilities needed to provide for refugees, but I believe we are premature in making the decision that we are unable to assist in the resettlement of Syrian refugees. My guess is that, that these people want to go home, they want to go back to their country, they want us to help, they want us to stop the war, they want us to stop the fighting and they want us to help them rebuild their country. The Isle of Man is the eighth richest nation in the world, really needs to look at our social policies and see how we are meeting the needs and aspirations of our residents along with meeting our international obligations. I am acutely aware that we are an increasingly diverse society. So the point about the mechanisms we have in our society to welcome people, we do have people already. Believe you me that they have totally different quality of life, totally different value of life, that we would be doing them no favours at all. Bringing them and would we want 
to deprive the country of Syria when it's rebuilding from taking all their doctors and consultants and, and nurses and teachers and, and professors, etc. It's the more I dig at it, the more I tend to find that there is feelings of isolation in small island communities, that they feel there's not that big a support network there for them. Quick bit of research, the problem they've got in Isle of Beauty at the moment, they can't get a, a teacher of Arabic to help those people. So the issue that you have is, it, when you bring them over here, who's going to be able, you need translators, you need all these sort of support oh, no, you don't have to be uh, a, a, a rocket scientist to know on the island that, that some of these support networks that these uh, comforts, home comforts if you like, are, are not freely or abundantly or instantly. The Council of Ministers has given full and very careful consideration to this matter and so I cannot support the Honourable Member's motion. In November last year, a motion was tabled to Tinwald seeking a feasibility study in the form of a select committee to look at whether the Isle of Man could and should accept refugees. More specifically, some 25 families from Syria who've been displaced from their homes amidst ongoing civil war there. As we heard, the motion failed to garner enough support. For many, this came as a very welcome move. But for a group of students from Balakameen High School, they were very disappointed with the outcome of the debate. The school student politics club, the Voltaire Society, met last month to look again at the issue of Syrian refugees. That session was led by Laura Cretney, who's director of Alishara Consulting, an island-based consultancy specialising in Middle Eastern affairs. They were also joined by Claire Bader from the One World Centre. As well as giving an in-depth analysis of the current humanitarian crisis, both speakers shared their experiences of visiting refugee camps in the region and what they called the dire need for resettlement opportunities. The session included a discussion about the challenges any island-based programme would entail and considered ways in which these could be overcome, citing examples such as the Isle of Butte and the Shetlands. What followed was a call upon the assembled students to support a campaign, hashtag IOM Youth for Syria, which was launched by the sixth formers in the wake of a failed Tinwald motion to investigate the possible resettlement of refugees here. In fact, the society's president said we do not understand why the government did not conduct an open investigation into the feasibility of resettling Syrian refugees on the island. So, what exactly do the students think and why? Well, Aaron Ibanez met them to find out. Uh, hi, I'm Kira Sowerby. I'm studying physics and chemistry and I'm in year 13. Hi, I'm Shingo Charas and I'm studying philosophy, English language and geography and I'm in year 12. So the Voltaire Society is a group of students in the Balakameen, in Balakameen High School, which um, wants to raise awareness about certain issues and topics, whether that be inside school, like the phone policy within school, or outside issues like the refugees. And then we invite various speakers in, in their field and we have a debate about it, which we think debating is very important since not only does it raise awareness, but it also encourages young people to have a voice and to um, argue for their views. And when it came to the uh, topic of the government policy on refugees and, and Syrian refugees, why, why did you decide to, to debate that? So we originally had a assembly, there was some one of our teachers, about um, the uh, evacuation of um, Jewish people from Germany and Poland and 
uh, countries around that sort of area in World War Two, and he linked that to the situation that we have in Syria and like minor countries uh, at the moment. And it just made me sort of think about how if no one had done something in World War Two, we would have had a huge disaster, even more than we already did. So why is no one doing anything about the refugees in Syria now? And so that encouraged me to go along to the Voltaire meeting and and debate my point. And also, um, the refugee was also um, the refugee issue already in school was already very discussed since we do it in our curriculum and geography and I think history as well. So it's a very widely discussed topic. So it was just a case of just gathering a group of young, um, like-minded people to discuss it and inviting speakers in. And so after the debate, which we'll come on to in a bit, you guys sort of pledged your support to IOM Youth for Syria. And that's a Balakameen-based group. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, our goal is to find representatives from all five schools of the island to form a coalition towards um, a petition towards the forming committee for the refugee. And actually, we're planning to have a petition in is it Tinwell Day and then just trying to get some signatures there, even though we still don't have a cohesive unit. We do have the Facebook page. And at the moment, we're still trying to raise awareness for the group right now it's in its first stages of formation at the moment so you will be aware of the the t- petition that was presented to the chief minister a few years ago we got a thousand signatures that didn't really lead to much did it i suppose it started a discussion though yes yeah it started a discussion it also um it did lead to more funding be al- being allocated towards the um the crisis and obviously we're aiming for different things that we want to bring refugees over rather than um, just allow more funding for them. However, I think it's a good place to start. Um, and at the end of the day, the petition a couple of years ago was partially successful. So I think showing like a youth force towards this idea, especially having people in Timwald, such as Mrs Kane, who's been a great help, and uh, Mrs Besson as well, greatly improved the outcome of this petition if we were to get it anywhere. When it came to the Timwald debate, did you listen to the debate? The motion that failed to pass from Miss Miss Kane, it was in November. Did you listen to that debate? We were there, yeah. We actually attended the meeting. I mean, the... Yeah, we went to Timwald and watched it. And what were your sort of thoughts? Were you frustrated? Were you encouraged? It was... Yeah. Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. (laughs) And mainly because the questions being asked was not actually towards what they were trying to pass which was not to have the refugees over but to form a committee towards investigating why or why not we can have them over so that was frustrating in itself but also because it was more of a dismissal rather than an open mind um when members of Legco was more open-minded towards it, I guess. Yeah. It was the other members that were more close-minded towards the subject. Well, that's what I feel like. Yeah. There was a lot of misinformation. I think that was quite frustrating. Like, we were... I was, like, writing notes to Shane, like, during the thing. Like, yeah. I was just so frustrated and I had to, like, pass on to someone. So, yeah. yeah. We were taking notes at the end and trying to verify if some of the things being said were right and then found out that some of them weren't. <laughs> so... So what, what kinds of misinformation do you, did you sort of perceive... If you look further afield to other island nations that have taken in um, refugees, so for instance, even going right round the world to the island of Nauru, or um, not far off Australia, they have taken in Iranian refugees, particularly children, and the experience has been that the children have actually 
suffered more problems since they have been there. And there's actually been legal cases there to get the children relocated into Australia. I think that was a very frustrating topic to bring up because in the debate they brought up Nauru as a beautiful island that would be a perfect place for um, the refugees to live in and compared it to the Isle of Man. But obviously Nauru is a detention centre, the Isle of Man is a lot more safe place, a very free, like politically free place. So that was not very comparable and it was a questionable decision why they actually brought that up. Yeah, Nauru has known human rights violations. um, not an ideal place to put refugees, to be quite honest. Um, whereas he didn't mention uh, the Isle of Butte, which is a, a much more successful place and a much, much more, more comparable yeah. place to the Isle of Man. Smaller. Smaller, yeah. however, is still taken in 25 refugees, which is how many? Families. 25 families, yeah. yeah. So probably more like 100 refugees, and it's got a population about a tenth of the size of the Isle of Man, yet they've managed, and a lot of them have set up businesses, etc., and have done really well for themselves. But according to the Education Minister, Graham Kajean, he said that under his quick bit of research, he found that there was no Arabic translators on Butte, therefore it would be very difficult to integrate them and get them speaking English. So that would be an obstacle perhaps on the Isle of Man, that there wouldn't be the provision to you know, teach English and help with this social inclusion, so to speak. Well, um, Laura Crenny, who's been helping us with this, did a degree in Arabic. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding over the kinds of people who would be coming to the island. I think people forget that these people are heavily vetted and also the island would have a say in who comes. We could put forward, this is who we are able to cater for and this is what we need for our economy. Yeah, she's been to the camps and um, she's mentioned that she would be more than happy to teach English. Yeah, and also we have... um, you know technology it's not a case of anymore just finding a person to translate you can just go online and just translate that and also we do have the cafe lingo on the Isle of Man which is just a bunch of people that meet up for coffee and try to learn English so we do have um, and I know it's not specifically Arabic but just a community of wanting to learn English together I think would help the the mentality yeah especially once you've got a basic grip of English and you want to improve your conversational skills and something like that would be great so the Part of people saying that there's no Arabic translate- translators in the Isle of Man maybe stems from the fact that they haven't asked anyone or investigated it further. So to actually just put up a statement like that without actually doing any research behind it, it's a bit and premature. It's a premature statement, basically. So when you came out of Timuld and, like you say, you were incredibly frustrated, um, you felt compelled to, to start this group IOM for Syria. And you've since spoke with Laura Cretney, you mentioned before, as well as Claire Bader from the One World Centre. What input have they had into this argument for you guys and what sort of perspective have they gave you? So it's been nice to have sort of support around people who have been to refugee centres, who've been doing this for longer than we have. So we've been involved with this for six months now. So there's only so much research that we could have done, whereas these guys have been involved in it for years. And so it's really nice to have their experience behind us um, as well as the experience of people inside Timwald. So, for example, Mrs Kane, who I mentioned before as well. And um, Laura's been fantastic, hasn't she? So yes. She's been yes. She was also um, invited to also Volta Society, which she gave a presentation of the findings she got in her experience when she was over. And that gave us a lot of information. And actually, like, in reality, like, the problems that we put forward about not having refugees in, compared to what they have in the camps in Lebanon and Jordan. It's non-comparable, really. 
I suppose the big question is, well, what makes you think the Isle of Man is equipped to, to take in 25 families? The Isle of Man has already given aid out to Syria, as you mentioned before, but it's in the form of like blankets and... Yeah, probably um, washed away now because of... Yeah, it's, it's minimal effort sort of thing. And although it is given a, a lot more people um, the assistance that they may require, I know that I would much rather be moved to somewhere safe than have a blanket that would keep me warm for a month. It would Another become, flood, yeah. yeah. There would be a flood or whatever and it would be washed away. And um, I think 25 refugees is a lot more permanent. And about like how well we're equipped is um, the scheme that involves you um the refugees being allocated to different places you can effectively say okay we're not allocated to we're not equipped to deal with um anyone who's got like ptsd or um like complex needs or anything like that we could say okay we're not equipped to deal with that so we don't want to take these people however we will take people who are like families who have come from um, who were, yeah, yeah, like less traumatizing backgrounds who are just concerned about their safety, perhaps, rather than people who've been directly involved. Obviously, it's a very divisive subject. I think um, that's been going on for a, a year or, or two, yeah. maybe a bit more now. Um, and it certainly it certainly appeals to the humanitarian side of people on the island, but in terms of practicality and the cost effectiveness I think government have quoted using an estimation on on the UK end for their vulnerable Syrian settlement scheme um, that it's going to cost the Isle of Man potentially 1.6 million over the the cost of of five years is that is that a price that you can justify do you think well I think that's the sort of questions that a committee towards investigating these things would be able to answer and going back to the the, you know the movement that wasn't past it wasn't a question towards whether we should accept refugees but a question towards whether we should have an open investigation towards it so the fact that that number 1.6 million was just basically pulled out from there basically because it haven't been investigated thoroughly by that committee i think those are the right kind of questions that we could have answered concretely if there was a committee that sort of echoes your mhk julie edge through the debate today, what we're seeing is that there are different views within the chamber from all honourable colleagues, and therefore I, I feel it's crucial that we do set up this committee so that we can have all of these views, all of the concerns, we can have more facts in front of us. The fact that this debate, particularly in Timbald, was set out to be very black or white, it was either we carry on giving aid yes. or we take uh, 25 families in, but as you mentioned before, that with the island perhaps being quite a wealthy nation, the eighth richest in the world, yes. that could we not do both? I think that's once again something for the committee to work out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're not treasury ministers. We don't know how the budget works. Well, we know yeah. how the budget works, but we don't know the ins and outs of the budget. Um, so a, a transparent, yeah. on, like you know, a transparent dialogue between between um, both sides. Yeah. Would it be? Yeah. So do you think? Do you think this debate is, is going to resurface? And are you going to, you know, you're talking about petitioning and, and forming a bit of a coalition with other members or other representatives from, from the schools across the island. Do you think you'll be able to get this back on the agenda? 
We very much hope so. hope so. Yeah. Um, we hope that they would see the response within schools, the youth, and other people. The petition may um, catch that this is not a settled issue within the Isle of Man, and some people are still infuriated by the, well, not infuriated, but frustrated with the outcome of the um, debate mm-hmm. in November. So, What's this like? having this discussion outside of sort of the political arena and just chatting amongst your friends and your family, what what kind of responses have you had? It's a very mixed response, obviously. It's a very sensitive topic and a very controversial one, but it actually encourages um, dialogue between friends and families and the fact that we're all talking about it is already a step towards, you know, um, raising awareness for it. Even if it is a negative response, at least they are aware if people talk about it. What's I like to think that I've... Um, influenced a couple of people to yeah. perhaps have a more open mind towards the whole issue. However, there are still some people who are very misinformed, <laughs> misinformed and like against it. It's often people who are against the idea who don't really perhaps, uh, this isn't like a blanket statement, but they often don't uh, propose their opinions in a particularly uh, well-informed way, should we say. Um, I think also most people that are against it have that sticking issue of safety and protection against foreign, you know, <laughs> people coming over, which is so wrong in so many ways they often, already. They often yeah. make blanket statements about the sort of people who might come from Syria. But yes. Do you think the, the climate currently in Britain isn't helping this cause, perhaps? That there is division, there's the whole Brexit elephant, so to speak, that people are looking quite inwardly and aren't perhaps thinking more openly, which is what you reckon this debate requires. So I think it's not mutually exclusive to concern yourself with internal matters as it is to concern yourself with outside matters. So um, one quest, um, one um, point that was brought up is the fact that we can still support um, um, refugees by giving um, monetary aid, but also it's not a choice between doing that and accepting refugees. You know, if we accept these refugees inside the Isle of Man, we don't necessarily have to stop giving foreign aid. So it's not an either or kind of um, statement. That probably that's why people are too um, scared to broach the subject because it does, if you say no, it's a very direct strike to your ethical and moral values, which I think should be encouraged actually, because if it's already invoking that much strong feelings towards it, then you have to look at why. Know, why is it invoking that much? Because if you think about it, refugees aren't aliens, they're, they're humans as well. So why are we so against accepting them and giving them a safe environment to stay in? That was students from Balakameen High School there speaking with Aaron Ibanez. The Nation Station, you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Before the break, we heard from students at Balakameen High School who formed a campaign called Hashtag IOM Youth for Syria, in the wake of a failed Timwald motion to investigate the possible resettlement of refugees here. We also heard about a meeting of the school student politics club, the Voltaire Society, which met after school last month to look again at the issue of Syrian refugees. One of the speakers at that event was Claire Bader from the One World Centre. Claire has a long history of work in development and humanitarian contexts. She's been a member of government's International Development Committee, the IDC, as well as a health advisor for Save the Children. A registered nurse, Claire's also had vast experience working in a range of developing countries, including in Sierra Leone, Mozambique, Malawi and Burundi. 
She's also worked with a variety of other international agencies, including Oxfam, the World Food Programme and the Clinton Foundation HIV Initiative. Aaron Ibanez caught up with Claire to get her views. From my childhood, um, I've been working, I've been lucky and privileged enough to work uh, in most in Africa for the best part of about 20 years. Um, so I started when I graduated school as a nurse. I went to Uganda in 1995 and I've been working overseas the majority of my career since then. I come back to the island and then I leave and go away again. And in terms of being at the front and um, and sort of seeing, I suppose, the supply chain from you know these these various international funds and um, countries putting their resources, um, so to speak. Um, what's that like, sort of? I suppose seeing it firsthand and the the, the distribution that that goes on. Um, it's really changed a lot over the last twenty years that I've uh, been working in this area. Um, uh, rightly so, I think there's a lot more capacity and a lot more um, strength. Uh, within uh, countries, uh, low and middle income countries and ones with civil conflict to do a lot of the response themselves. There was a recent um, African Union uh, summit uh, last month, which was really talking about the need for them to work harder on internal uh, refugees and displacements. The majority of the world's refugees and displaced people remain within Africa and within these countries. And they really pride themselves. And there was a big discussion within the African Union about open borders and welcoming borders and just being able to be there to support each other. Um, I've uh, spent a lot of time working in various camps for both displaced people and in refugees um, and spent a year in Greece uh, working on the migration crisis there, supporting uh, a lot of the sites and working with the government. Um, and then latterly working um, from a head office perspective, but I went to the Amman office uh, with, a, with an Irish organisation that's working inside Syria. So teams of teams in Syria, teams in Iraq and teams in uh, the Turkish um, camps as well just trying to support and I think what was really nice with that program was that the programs that we were running inside Syria were not um, distribution of aid they were supporting bakeries was one of our big programs that we had so we would buy flour and give it to the bakeries so the bakeries could keep functioning they could keep selling bread uh, people could keep doing things normally and people could keep, keep having a normal job but they just had an interrupted supply chain themselves on the flour so we were providing the flour so um, yeah I think there's a lot of misinformation about what uh, aid is constituted of um, it's not about just handing things out it's about supporting people to have giving them a hand up so that they can help themselves you mentioned there about working in greece obviously that becomes sort of the the sort of frontier of the european continent i suppose for a lot of migrants and i imagine you would have come into contact with a, a lot of syrian refugees uh, yes, at the time I was there in uh, 2016, so uh, just after the big wave. So I bet it, I was there when the borders shut, um, and so people became stuck and quite stagnant within in Greece, and there were still people coming over, and there's still people coming over today. Um, as a big proportion of them are because of the Syrian conflict, uh, probably about 80%. I don't know the actual figures at the moment. It may have changed, so um, do look at the source for that within the UN site. I suppose migration, the displacement of people, refugees, seems to be this almost in, integral part of the human history um, or, or the history of humankind, be it, you know, events of, of famine, be it, um, you know, drought, conflict, civil war. 
where does the Syrian conflict rank, I suppose, on, on this timeline in terms of its severity? Oh, that's a very good question. I don't know in terms of a historical timeline. In terms I mean, of <laughs> some, some people have referred to it or coined it as yeah. sort of the the worst humanitarian crisis since the Second World War. Is that a fair? Um, I think it it probably is. I you know I think I have a slightly slanted view of having worked so much in Africa. So there's a lot of ongoing conflicts. Like DRC is just you know an ongoing complex, so fragile state uh, now with a, an added Ebola crisis. So for me, uh, DRC is always a bit of a winner. Um, and, you know, South Sudan, there are huge numbers of uh, refugees and displaced people within uh, Uganda from South Sudan. Um, so the Syria conflict is, uh, for this area of the world, is it is enormous and it's ongoing and it will not be finished uh, soon. You know, I know that Trump uh, is trying to get it finished and pull his Trump, his troops out. Will that peace hold? Will it ever come? What will be, you know, the rebuilding process for Syria afterwards? It's going to take years. It's 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 not a quick win situation. Am I right in saying it, it wasn't exactly a, a poor country? No, not at all. No, if you've seen any of the pictures of uh, Syria, even from 10 years ago, the beautiful buildings, amazing universities. I have been privileged to work with a lot of Syrians. Uh, both in Greece and in um, Amman, and and I have friends who are so smart, so smart, way smarter than uh, sorry most of my other friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Do forgive me, um, but yeah, just great academic um, institutions and also a, a, a thirst and a, and and a wanting to learn. They want it. People want to learn. It's a culture that 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 wants to have knowledge, to have access to information and to um, are just curious about learning, which is great. In terms of the general stigma today, I suppose, of, of the refugee, why is there perhaps become a bit of a, a panic around um, the displacement of, of migrants? I think the panic is is still there. It is definitely a lot less than three years ago in 2016 when I went to Greece. There was this unknown. We didn't know how many people were going to keep coming to the borders. Um, When I went to Greece, we just had no idea of the numbers that were going to be coming through. And when the borders shut, we had to change the programmes, but we weren't quite sure what was the surge going to be like behind that. And it did have this added, you know, push from other countries coming through at the same time. So... Um, you know, there's a lot of issues like climate change and poverty and uh, and and this disparity with Europe that that people see and they're attracted to. So if they need to go somewhere, they're going to go somewhere where they think they have an opportunity. What was the percentage of people like that you came into contact with, sort of, I suppose, fleeing from Syria or, or any part of the world? Um, how many of them turned their back on it and, and said, I'm not going back, that that's it? Or how many of them sort of said, you know, I, I would like to go back? A lot of them would love to go back and a lot of them um, still have family in there. Um, the ones who are there are very happy. Some of them, like we had, uh, I got to know some of the staff working inside Syria when I was with the Irish NGO and they were very happy where they were. They, you know, they had difficulties, but they were committed to staying. They wanted to help. Um, and I think they're just all hoping that at some point things will return well, obviously not return to how it was, but to have a positive future where they can continue as a country and grow and rebuild and do things. Um, I think it's the same for me when I any of the countries that I went to work in, I still longed for the Isle of Man. I wanted to come back every time I get off the aeroplane. I'm like, oh, I'm home. 
Um, just because you've gone to move somewhere else and you're happy to be there for a while and you're committed and you're staying, you you always think about home. You refer to that period, sort of 2016, where there really was this kind of sense of unknowing and and perhaps fear. Pat, mm. that that's maybe still with a lot of people. What do you make of the current climate in across Europe at the moment and and the current view on on refugees? Yeah, that's another great question. I think it's uh, I think it's calmed down a lot from uh, 2016 and 2017. There's a lot more people who are just normally there. They've integrated. They're doing well. Um, people have been processed. Um, although there are still little pockets like Calais. Um, and in Italy, but that's slightly different. Italy is, uh, and Spain are different, really, because of the they're coming up from North Africa, really. Um, but people people are normalised. They they've they've become part of um, where they are. They've opened shops. They've opened businesses. They're they're working. They're you know they're contributing. I think there were some really lovely reports um, after the horrific um, bomb in Manchester of people going and helping uh, refugees who've been taking in. They went they went and they helped. Um, after the floods in Cumbria, they went and they helped. They didn't just sit back and go, that's not my problem. But they went, this country has taken me in. I want to do something. They need some help. I'm going to go. I think um, there's also a lot of misunderstanding around what a refugee is like. Um, there's a new head of communications for UNHCR and in a news article today she was talking about how she wants to change the narrative around refugees and she was pointing to the fact that within a population there's a bell curve of opinion 15% at one end will be talking very positively they're really for it they're very pro and very active like myself 15% at the other end will be the opposite, very anti, very negative. And she said, working with those people is very difficult and probably not worthwhile. The the bell in the middle are the people who want to say yes, but have questions. They don't know. They think their job is going to be affected or they don't know how they're going to cope with the language or they don't know how, uh, you know, healthcare is going to happen or what's going to happen, uh, you know, if one comes into school and my child becomes friends with them. I, I don't know how I'm going to cope with that. That's normal and that's fine. What we need to do is just be really open and to just look at things properly and to... Um, just be willing to learn and accept and 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 to grow. I think every time I've met new people, I've I, I've learned from it, and it's been amazing. The other thing is, uh, you know, one of the most beautiful stories is um, the stories of the white helmets, um, who are Syrian, and they're like a version of the Home Guard from the Second World War. Is probably the nearest thing to say. They they founded themselves several years ago and literally just pulled people out of rubbish. Every time they knew there was going to be a bomb attack or a plane overhead, they just went to where the damage was, where the building had collapsed and literally just spent hours digging people out, rescuing people, saving people. They made a documentary uh, which was uh, nominated for an Oscar for one of the best short documentaries uh, of that year. They were even nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because their work was just so outstanding. Um these people had to leave Syria last year because they became targeted because of all of the international attention and it wasn't safe for them to be there. So they realised they were putting other civilians at risk by staying. And so they had to come out and be in the resettlement programme. The UK has been lucky enough to take 100 of them and resettle them uh, a couple of weeks ago into a place in the UK with their families. And I just think, wow, I would be so 
uh, or inspired to meet even one of them and to, you know, have a conversation and uh, to, to have them to be part of a community. And I think, you know, it, it, it's a shame that uh, the Isle of Man has decided not to look at this issue in proper depth. I think it's a real shame that we have not been able to benefit from having some amazing people be considered to be resettled here with us. You, yeah. you, you mentioned before, I suppose, it, it was about having, you know, transparency and having an open mind going into this debate. Why do, you, why do you think people are scared? Why are people standoffish? Why are people, you know, cl- clutching and, and protecting what they believe is their turf, so to speak? And, and again, I, we come back to that sort of reputation that, that refugees have, I, I guess, is probably attributed to that. So who do you think is responsible for these images that we that we portraying yes i suppose of refugees present company excluded uh, the media doesn't help <laughs> um there are some very difficult images um and the way that refugees are portrayed is you know there's fear-mongering people will some media will latch on to this kind of uh, fear of change the fear of the unknown and you know with the whole brexit debate a lot of it was fueled around that that whole kind of protectionism and nationalism and kind of clamping down and not letting people come inside um so a lot of the media uh, attention was around that um there's also um a lot of negative media attention because um, they, some people would see it as a way of raising awareness. Seeing somebody suffering is a way of getting newspapers and kind of articles and things. So the positive image is not portrayed. Um, there was uh, an interesting uh, thing called the Radiate Awards, which is one of my favourite fun things, is um, looking at, uh, it's like the Oscars really, I suppose, of uh, adverts for NGOs um, and people doing fundraising. And the winning best video was a video by War Child, which is a beautiful uh, video of a small boy um, from the Middle East in a refugee camp who's playing with Batman. And it's just a really fun video. He's playing with Batman. You know, they're hiding, they're playing hide and seek. They're reading stories and, you know, just playing games and and uh, having a fun time. And then at the end of the video, the planes come overhead and they have to flee from where they are. And Batman's carrying him down the road. And then Batman turns into his dad. And it's just a beautiful advert. And I feel that the media needs to be portraying things more realistically. Kids have fun. Parents look after their children. They're just making the most of the situation that they're in like we would and just trying to protect themselves. Um, and I think it's really important that we that, that we we do more to embrace that and question. So I suppose you would have been quite disappointed with the failing of... Daphne Kane's motion in in November to effectively to ascertain facts, I suppose, was was the intention of that. Were you surprised? I was really disappointed. The original decision by Tinwald had been made over three years ago. The situation has changed. There are a lot of new reports. Um, WHO released a report recently which did a systematic review of all of the health provision for migrants and refugees across Europe and took out all of the common themes of issues, problems, what needed to be done. And it's just really clear and very simple about what needs to be provided. 
there are reports, so many bits of reports that have not been considered, that have not been factored in. And I think it's just really disappointing that we don't want to realise that three years have passed. There is more evidence and we just need to take a look at it. We're not saying, I think the, the motion was not to say, let's take refugees. It was like, let's just look at it properly for where we are now. What are the facts? What would we need? Would it work? If it doesn't work, okay, great. But what could we do instead? In terms of the IDC committee, so you, when did you work there? And I suppose, what, what was its function within the, the cabinet office? Um, so I was one of the lay members from uh, 2011 to 2016. Um, so with the change in the new government, uh, that's when the, the lay membership stopped on the committee. Um, the idea was really to have a committee to oversee the accountability function of the overseas um, and international support that was being provided. Um, my role as the layperson was to provide that technical kind of uh, basis uh, as someone having worked a lot in the sector and understanding it and worked with a lot of other donors. Um, and just to really help the accountability to make sure that we we're picking good projects that were um, well thought through, properly evidenced, and that there was an accountability element for the government to make sure that their money was being spent wisely. Um, was this sorry? Was this committee f- formed of civil servants um, and ministers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Going back to the vote again, um, the Comin vote. Is it reflective of, of the Isle of Man, do you think? Obviously, if, if Timwald is meant to reflect its constituencies, do you think it reflects the Isle of Man? Because it's, it's No, beca- I don't think it does because the question wasn't about accepting refugees. It was about looking at it properly. And you feel that's where it's got lost? Yes, and I think the Isle of Man people would like it to be looked at properly. And I think if the decision was no people would accept the no because there would be evidence and a rationale behind it which was quite clear and for the time that we're in now and I think if the decision was yes again it would give provide really good evidence for the people who were slightly reluctant and it would help us have a clear pathway and a clear uh, vision about how we were going to do that how we were going to embrace the third sector to have people but it, it, it would give us that guideline either the no very clear and then what can we do instead or that, yes, and actually it could look like this. So just looking at the government's record, um, since the civil war in Syria began, I think it's reported that 1.3 million is said to have been donated to refugee camps in Jordan and Lebanon. So that that provides cash assistance to some 2,000 families, um, emergency shelter kits to 700 families, and a further 1,100 have received winter survival kits. That's quite a remarkable sort of spread of resources, isn't it, from from a government point of view? Um, it's good. It's you know, or one point three. It's a it's a good significant amount. We've given some money to other things. Um, the people on the IDC will be aware of my views at the moment. But you know, we have not increased our international aid funding since before twenty eleven when I joined the committee. It stayed at the same amount. It is nowhere near the zero point seven percent of our GDP, which is the international recommended target. So, could we be giving more? Yes. And does the Syria response need more? Yes. The response plan for Syria and the surrounding areas for this year alone is 5.5 billion. That's a lot of money. So 1.3 million is, you know, it's helpful, but it doesn't go anywhere close to this year's target of 5.5 billion. I suppose to play devil's advocate, winter survival kits, that sounds like a a bit of a disposable thing to last a season. So there's perhaps not 
necessarily the longevity that would come if we again look at the hypothetical argument of having f- families tangibly within you know the the Manx grasp so to speak and having them in the community yeah I'm sure that you have been camping in your life Erin how did your tent last after a couple of days yeah it, it, <laughs> very condensated inside a bit chilly and I just wanted to get a bath and get into bed yeah a lot of the winter kits are giving things like tents you're living in a tent you're living in a shack you're living in you know you you can't keep things clean your blanket disintegrates you know it's it's it it is temporary people make things last as long as they possibly can but until people get into proper housing uh, and able to kind of look after themselves and provide things for themselves it's not enough without jumping the gun of a potential Timwell Select Committee if it was to ever come to fruition would the findings rule the Isle of Man well I say rule it's not a a judicial process but I mean would would the findings deem the Isle of Man an adequate place for for resettlement I can't think of a strong reason why not we have a good healthcare system we have a good education system we have plenty of space we have a lot of uh, lovely people uh, very dedicated people in the third sector who'd be very happy to support and I think we can all learn. We can all we can all learn from this. You know, I've not heard one good reason why. I've heard some excuses and I've heard some uh, fear um, and some false information. But no. so you find it, it's more excuses then than mm. a justifiable sort of stance on this. Yeah, there's no clear evidence for any of the the, the issues contrary that I've heard. Claire Bader there speaking to Aaron Ibanez. The nation station.